Luke chapter 2, verses, eh, verse 11 is our focus. Really, verses 8 through 14 will, will be what we read. The angels are now announcing to somebody besides family. They're announcing the birth to the shepherds on the hillside as they, uh, as they watch their sheep. Now, we know what the angels say, and we're going to talk about that, but there's, there's a background to what they say. There was an understanding uh, that was there by the shepherds. As a matter of fact, the, the, the real message to the shepherds was not that there was a baby born. Go ahead and, and move forward on there, Judy. The message to the shepherds was this. This is the child you're looking for. It, it, okay, it wasn't Obi-Wan. Go ahead to the next one. Nobody thought that was funny. Um, okay, it was angels. But the message really was, this is the child you're looking for. Because the shepherds were expecting, everybody was expecting it. We can go back to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. This is going to be our opening illustration. We're not going to talk a lot about Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, but this is what's going to set the scene, set us up for the angels coming and making the announcement, and everybody that heard the announcement, the shepherds and then people that the shepherds told and uh, folks that got it later on, like Simeon, at uh, the temple and Anna at the temple, they knew that this was the child they were looking for. And if I were going to put a different title on this sermon, other than Promises Kept, I would say the title is, This is the Child You're Looking For. Verses 2 and 6 of chapter 9 are kind of the the, uh, home run verses, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 of Isaiah 9. It says, Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For the trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and his prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Every Jewish person knew this passage. Every Jewish person who had ever been to a synagogue or to the temple had ever been taught the ways of their faith, and it was ingrained in them. They all had. There may have been those that didn't believe it, but they had all been taught it. Everyone knew this passage, and everyone was waiting for this baby to be born. And up to now, we've talked about the angels' visits uh, to the family. 
But now we get to the first visit outside of the family. The first announcement to anyone who wasn't directly involved in the actual birth. They're wondering when it's going to arrive. This baby's going to get here. And the announcement is now made. And the shepherds got the message. Now, we, we could talk about, we could spend some time discussing why it was announced to shepherds and not to kings. We'll, we'll cover it briefly as we move through the passage. But shepherds heard it first. They heard the message. Guys, this is the child you've been looking for. And we see that announcement. Chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. Sounds like I keep coming and going. Is that correct? Okay. Uh, I don't know if it's a battery or what, but I'm not touching it, uh, Jeff. So we'll see if it figures itself out. Luke 2, 8 through 14. Again, our focal passage is verse 11. That's what we're going to talk about the most this morning, but it's great. It's best to get this verse in context. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, a Savior, who is Messiah the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth, lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people he favors. I'm going to jump back to verse 10 for just a second and look at that. Then we're going to jump to the end of verse 11 and see a couple of words there. And then we're going to hit the heart of verse 11, hit the middle. But pray with me before we get into that. God, we thank you for the precious gift of your son. We thank you for sending this baby that, that they had been looking for, that in reality we have all been looking for. We all need, we've all been waiting on, we've all been searching for, and God, you sent that gift. May your word speak to us a story we know so well, but may it speak to us afresh and anew today as we seek to draw closer to you and to love you more through the study of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Verse 10, the angel tells them, don't be afraid. Because, you know, when angels show up, that's time to be scared. Uh, you look back through the Old Testament, there were a few times when they showed up as messengers, and there were some times when they showed up as warriors. Uh, the Assyrians got the, uh, the rough end of the deal when angels showed up. And a, a few other times, angels showed up to do, uh, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah didn't enjoy it when the angels showed up. Um, so it's not always a good thing. So they, they tell the, the shepherds, don't be afraid. I've got good news. Not bad news. I'm not here to kill anybody. As a matter of fact, I have life. Good news here in verse 10. The word that is used there is actually gospel. Uh, the, the, the Greek verb, the tense of the verb is euangelizomai. Uh, the actual word is euangelion. And if you change that u in the word in the parentheses, if you change that u to a v and you change the o to an s, what word do you get? Evangelism. That's right. That's where we get the word evangelism. Gospel. So the, the angels show up and say, Guys, don't be afraid. I've got the gospel for you. 
I've got good news. I have life and not death. I read Isaiah and it talked about the light in the darkness will shine. Right? Let's see, what verse was that? Let me find it, just so you know I'm not lying to you. Verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land. The angels were not the light, but this evening, this night, in this countryside near Bethlehem, to these shepherds who were just going about their business, they were hoping for the Savior, but probably not really looking for Him, especially not expecting the announcement to come to them. Suddenly, the angels were a light in the darkness, sharing the light in darkness. We have the gospel. I bring to you evangelism, the angels say. And heaven meets average in the shepherds. Depending on who you read, we, we, we talked about, you know, some people will say, well, uh, uh, shepherds were the lowest on the totem pole. And later, in later centuries, they were. As, as the years went on, they became less and less respected. At this time, they were probably just the average guy. So whether, but whether they were below average or average, the, the, the message is clear here that Jesus is for everyone because there's no doubting his greatness. There's no doubting who this baby is. Between the announcements to, to Joseph and Mary, primarily Mary, that we've looked at so far, the understanding that we're going to see in eight days when they present Jesus at the temple for his circumcision from Simeon and Hannah, we're going to get, we're, they know who this child is, but, and they know how great he is. So it should be that he was announced to kings, but instead he was announced to the average. Because Jesus came not just for kings. Jesus is absolutely here for kings. But he is here for everyone. His, his throne will be, his, his kingdom will be over all. He will not sit uh, conjoined, not sit consecutively, not sit next to kings and rulers of the past and the future. But he will sit above them all. He will be greater. The government will be on his shoulders because he will uphold the government and not the other way around. So that's verse 10. That's some, some background, some foundation for us to get into verse 11. At the end of verse 11, or actually depending on your, your translation, some places put it at the end of verse 11, some places put it at the uh, beginning. Uh, verse 11, today in the city of David. It is important that we talk about city of David for just a couple of seconds. Because the last, three, uh, last two messages have pointed us to this. Remember, we're talking about promises kept. And we've been looking at what the promise was in the Old Testament, what the promise was from the angel, and then how Jesus lived up to that promise. City of David, this phrase, the, the usage of this phrase, uh, phrase by the is important. Clearly, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. So, in some sense, it was merely directions. They were, they were the, the GPS. The angels were the GPS of the shepherds. Go up to 1st Street in Bethlehem. Going to turn left. There's a, there's a home there. That's where Jesus was born. He's going to find him in a manger. I mean, it was just simply directions. But it was more than simply directions. 
it, it was something far greater. For them to say the city of David connected this baby to prophecy, telling the shepherds in one short little phrase, this is the child you've been waiting for. The baby, the Messiah that we've known would come from David. He's here, and he is in the city of David, just like the prophets said. City of David was a connection to royalty. Connection to royalty, because we knew he would be not just in the city of David, but of the direct line of David. He would be a king by birth. He would be a king by blood. By his humanity, Jesus would be a king. City of David connected to that royalty. City of David gave them a connection to Jewish hope. They knew what the promise was for the Messiah. They knew that he would be, uh, he was prophesied. They knew he would be of the line of David. But all of that were, was just really details to the greatest part about the Messiah for the Jews. He would, be, he would bring hope to their lives. He would be the wonderful counselor, uh, mighty God, eternal father, and prince of peace. He would be all those things, and he would bring hope to hopeless lives. They knew that. They knew who to expect. And the angels, by saying city of David, immediately brought to mind those things. And then, finally, it was a connection to eternity. Because they knew that this king, this baby, this savior would rule forever. He would sit on David's throne forever. They were expecting that. So when this baby came, when the angel stand over, uh, the angel at this point stands over the shepherds and says, in the today in the city of David, they know I am looking at eternity. This is not just for today. This is not just for tomorrow. This is not just going to affect my life for a little bit. But I am hearing the announcement of what eternity holds through this baby born in the city of David. Today in the city of David, the angels say, a savior. Soter. If you've Maybe you've seen it written, you've heard me say it, soteriology. That's the study of salvation, the study of Savior. Soter is that Greek word. And it's a term that's used frequently in the Old Testament for God. This, too, would not have been lost on those shepherds. They were poor. They were uneducated, very likely. But they had been taught their Torah. They had been taught in the synagogues, most likely, at least until they were 13. They had heard the words. They knew that when we talk about a Savior, we are talking about God. And yet, now the angel stand up, stands above them and says, in, today in the city of David is born a Savior. A soter. A, a representation in fact, more than a representation, God in the flesh. This is more indication of Jesus' Jesus's divinity. These are clues that the angels are giving. They're not allowing them to think, well, this is just the same, you know, just another birth, just another kid. No, no, no. No, there is more here than what you would think. They were expecting somebody to come and do something great for them, but now the language when, when, the, when heaven announces a Savior, you look for God. And that's who was in that manger. God in the flesh. 
So that's Savior, more indication of Jesus' divinity. But that word is also used in the common vernacular of the day for both Hellenistic or Greek rulers and Roman emperors. They were all called saviors. Saviors were everywhere. Boy, I'm really coming and going, aren't I? Uh, saviors were all over the place. Everybody was a savior. It was, it was Oprah giving out saviors. You're a savior and you're a savior. Everybody's a savior if you're going to do something good, if you're going to help the people. That was the word they used. This the same language was used in, in an, uh, an honorary plaque uh, in a memorial to Caesar Augustus. He would be the savior of the people. He would do all these wonderful things. He would bring in peace and hope, this uh, memorial said. But, though the language is similar, and the Bible does this regularly, the Bible takes what the secular world believed, took its language, took its expectations, and blew them up. High definition, uh, surround sound, all over the place, beyond what they could expect. You have expected this. You've called these people this. Let me tell you who the real Savior is. Not a man. Not a king. Not a ruler. Not an emperor. This baby is the real Savior. A clear contrast between the baby in the manger and these other so-called saviors that the people had come to learn about. This word savior was actually also used in the Old Testament for the judges. Now, uh, my Old Testament professor at Southwestern said something that, that stuck with me, and that's good, right? That's what I was paying for. But particularly when we were discussing the judges. He said, the judges were never intended to be positive examples. Go back and look at the judges. Find one, Matt, let me back up, find more than one that was a positive example, lived an exemplary life. I'm not talking about sinlessness. I'm talking about somebody that just, you know, did the job they were supposed to do without issues you really can't find one except Samuel Samuel the last judge was the greatest judge he did what he was supposed to but I mean we, we Gideon the man had no faith put the fleece out okay uh, do it a different way um, okay you know, uh, Samson well, we know what his issues were uh, on and on and on and on you read the judges and there was no judge that was a great example to the people also you didn't have a judge that ever fully got the people free and the people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord there was no king in Israel and they drifted away and God sent judgment and then when they cried out to him he raised up a judge and the judge helped push back the judgment the judge died or killed himself like Samson or whatever and the people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord because there was no king in Israel and the judgment came and here we go again and it was just a cycle over and over and over and there was no full redemption no full deliverance 
their soters, their saviors, at best were partial. The angels say to the shepherds, you, you've studied your, your, your history you know the judges, you know the soters, you know the saviors in your past, this savior would deliver his people more fully. This savior would be the judge, the ultimate judge, the perfect judge, the prophet, the priest, and the king all wrapped up into one. That's what the angels were telling these shepherds, these very very shocked men as they stood out on the hillside thinking they were just going to have another boring night of listening to sheep crunch on their grass. They didn't stop there, though. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born to you who is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, some, some versions will, tell, will say Christ the Lord. Uh, Christ is just a Greek version of Messiah. Uh, in reality, in the, in the Greek text, there weren't any definite articles in there. Uh, now, you, you put two words together like they are in Greek. Sometimes it implies a definite article between the two of them. But really, we would read this in Greek as, uh, today in the city of David, a Savior is born for you, is who is Messiah Lord? Maybe hyphenated. Uh, a kind of a compound name. This would mean anointed Lord. Messiah was anointed. Hamashiach, the David, was a Messiah. He was anointed king. It was, a, again, a term that was used regularly for people. But this Messiah got some, some additional uh, uh, support, some additional description here in this name. It was not Lord, we'll talk about here in a second, was, an also, uh, was also a common word. But in this situation, for this person, compounded with the term or the name, descriptor, Messiah, now what we have here is very possibly Messiah Yahweh. Yahweh, a name we don't use. They certainly didn't use flippantly. They wouldn't even speak it. They wouldn't even write it. We don't know if that's how you pronounce it because all they would write was the consonants. They wouldn't put, in the earliest Hebrew, there weren't, ver, weren't uh, uh, vowels anyway. But even when they could write the vowels, they wouldn't. And when they would come to that place, if they were transcribing Scripture, before they wrote the word Yahweh, they would get up, they would go pray, they'd take a bath, they would ritually cleanse themselves, they would come back, and they would write the word Yahweh, and then they would go back and do the same thing over again, ritually cleanse themselves, take a bath, change clothes, and come back and keep writing. That's how much they esteemed Yahweh, their God. I am who I am, and now the angels are saying, in the city of David, you shepherds, you average people or maybe below average people, you are the ones who are getting to hear today that in the city of David, a Savior who is Messiah Yahweh is born. That is a tremendous message. Lord, like I said, was also used of Roman leaders in this day. Uh, Lord was, uh, well, we still have it even today in, uh, 
England. We don't call them lords over here, but their sort of bicameral legislature in England is the House of Commons and the House of Lords. It, it, it implies entitlement. It implies authority. It implies power. The House of Lords there is similar to our Senate. It's smaller than their House of Commons. House of Commons would be similar to our House of Representatives. It has authority. They have authority and power. That's what that title carried with it. So he is saying to them, you have the authority and power of every ruler you've thought of along with the Messiah, the, the Yahweh in the flesh. I mean, it's, it's, it's like calling somebody, I don't know if we could do it today, uh, Judge, King, President, Senator Michael. I mean, it's every title you can think of. If there's a, a title for authority, if there's a title for purpose, if there's a title for ruling, it's in there. This baby announced to shepherds sleeping, uh, the baby sleeping in a manger. You can imagine the shepherds cleaning their ears out and going, okay, hold on now. There's an angel floating right up there talking to me. It was dark. We were fine. It was time, maybe, you know, it was my nap time. Somebody else was watching. We were good. Suddenly, boop, angel, bright, scary, don't be afraid. City of David, sure, Bethlehem, good town, like it. Uh, it's got a McDonald's. Um, Savior is born. You're telling us, Savior is born but it's not just, not just what we, not a judge, not not uh, not Caesar or anything like that. Those nasty Romans call their uh, uh, their king. No, this is this is a savior. This is the Messiah. This is this is the Lord, our Lord, our oh Lord, Lord Yahweh. Lord. Ooh, wow. We hear the story so much. I'm afraid we miss it. Every year we talk about this. And every year we pack the Savior up and we put him in a box and we bring him back out, depending on who you are, early in November or the day after Thanksgiving. It is correct to decorate as soon as you want to. That's the rule. I don't care about the day after Thanksgiving rule. That's made up and not important. But we pack him up and we lose the mystery. We lose the awe. We lose the message that the angels... In just a couple of sentences. This, this isn't a dissertation. This isn't a 45-minute sermon. It's a couple of sentences. And the, the shepherds... Well, they're probably on their face on the ground, shaking. Because of what they're seeing and what they are hearing. And we, if we are careful, we miss it. See, Luke's making a very clear point here. God, through Luke, is making a very clear point here when he says Messiah Yahweh or Messiah Lord, the Messiah the Lord. He's making Jesus' status clear to both Greek and Hebrew readers. In case you're confused, Greek reader, 
This is the Soter, the same way you've thought about Seegers or Augustus. This is the Lord, the Curios, the same word you use for those who would be over you in authority. Maybe it's just your master. Maybe it's just your boss. Maybe it's just somebody who's important and you're not, so you refer to them Lord. You get it? Greek readers, you understand who I'm saying this is, and he's greater than all of those. But Hebrew readers, I'm not going to leave you out. I'm not going to leave you confused. This is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. This is the Savior, the city of David. You know, all that goes into that. That's, those, are, those are loaded words, city of David. So Greek reader, you got it? You got who this is? This is greater than any ruler you've thought of. Jewish readers, this is greater than anybody you thought could be born. Yes, this is is God in the flesh. They're going to kill him for saying that in 33 years, but this is the announcement to you. God in the flesh, and we lose it when we make it too much about a light-up plastic doll in our front yard. This is God. Even at birth, I've talked about that a little bit, and you know, what, what did that look like? How, what, what did he know of his divinity at, at two minutes old or at uh, T minus nine months old um, or however that works? You know, uh, what did he know? We, we don't know. But we do know that right now for the shepherds, today in the city of David is born a Savior, Messiah Lord. Everything God is, is wrapped up in that three-minute-old baby. See, the announcement, am I still on? Okay. Uh, the announcement meant a lot. They were looking for certain things, and it ended up being much more than they expected. And, and not at all what they expected. You see, ooh, nice. See, Israel wanted a political deliverer. That's what they were expecting, and and this language carries some of that with it. Uh, carries some of that idea with it. Lord, Savior. Those those were all could be political terms. Those could all be uh, ways that you would describe a political leader. And that's what most of Israel wanted. That's what Judas wanted. That's what the, the disciples, when are, you, when are you going to come into your kingdom? Wait a minute, is this, oh, they're, they're announcing you as the king. Jesus, as you come in, it's a good thing, right? And he's like, no, no, well, yes, but no. Because they don't, they're not expecting what I really am. This was not a political announcement. Jesus was not announcing his candidacy for Messiah. Jesus was not saying, vote for me someday to be your savior. That's not what was going on here. Politics is not, was not Jesus' purpose in coming, and it is still not Jesus' purpose in saving us today. Jesus is not a political bludgeon. Jesus is not a talking point for politicians. Well, I mean, he is. But that's not why he came. That was not his purpose our faith should absolutely inform our politics. Every political decision we make should be based first on our faith. But we must make sure which is the master and which is the servant. Far too often we see today that politics becomes the master of our faith. 
Ed Stetzer said, when you mix faith and politics, you get politics. And tragically, that is the way it is today. When we mix our faith in politics and try to get something that looks like something uh, useful, all we get is politics. And we get a politics that forgets the Christ and forgets the Messiah. Uh, I, this one, I, I believe, I, I, don't know who, I don't know who I saw that said this, uh, but I agree. Today, Jesus would be too conservative for Democrats and too liberal for Republicans. Jesus would be too conservative for Democrats and too liberal for Republicans. When we try to make Jesus our political head and not the head of the church, we've delved too far into mixing our politics and religion. And that's what Israel did. They were mixing their politics and their faith How could they have thought that the Savior, that the Messiah was going to be a temporary political ruler when it says his kingdom will be without end? That should have been fairly clear to them. Wait a minute. We're not looking for the kind, we shouldn't be looking for the kind of ruler that the world tells us we need. We should be looking beyond Caesar. We should be looking beyond Herod. We should be looking beyond any ruler, any king that's coming. Because our king, our Messiah, is not here for earthly politics. They wanted a political deliverer, and they did not get it. Of course, the Romans didn't think they needed any deliverer. I mean, they were Romans, right? We don't need a savior. Uh, we got our savior, Caesar. Oh, we've got gods that we worship and we appease as necessary, but eh, I mean, just read the stories. Their gods were not that great. Um, they, they weren't exactly people we would look up to, deities we would look up to. They were fickle. They were uh, sinful. So the Romans didn't think they needed any deliverer. We have the power of the sword. We have the power of, 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 of numbers. We have military skill, we have intelligence, we have the smartest people in our background, we're, we're brilliant because we stole it all from the Greeks. We, we, uh, we, we're, we don't need a deliverer. They were wrong too. They didn't think they needed a deliverer. Israel just wanted a political deliverer. Stay out of our religion. Because why were the religious leaders so mad at Jesus? Because he was messing up their religion. And, by extension, messing up their politics. Romans didn't think they needed a deliverer. Our, our self-help, self-sufficient society isn't seeking a savior. People don't come to church on Sunday morning. People rarely come to church on Sunday morning, walk through those doors, because of a, an irresistible drive to find a Savior. It happens occasionally. But most people have to be told they need a Savior. Everyone needs a deliverer. And most people today don't think they do. They're not seeking a Savior. 
we have to inform them of their need. One way preachers often have put it is we have to get people lost before we can get them saved. And that's very true. People have to understand their need for a Savior before they'll understand what the Savior can do for them. And that's our job. The angels show up on the hillside, above the hill, wherever they were. Say, look, got an announcement, y'all. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is Messiah the Lord. As surely as that announcement was for those shepherds on that hill that evening, that announcement is still just as true, just as applicable, just as important today for everyone sitting here in this room or watching us online or listening to this sermon somewhere down the road. The announcement is still the same. There's nothing changed. The clothing's changed. The jobs have changed. The political leaders have changed. But Jesus has not. And the world's need for him has not changed. Some people want Jesus to be a political deliverer. Others don't think they need a deliverer at all. But the fact is we all need a spiritual deliverer. We all need a Savior. And to quote one of the greatest theologians in the wrong religion ever, this is the Savior you're looking for. Or to paraphrase Obi-Wan, this is the Savior you're looking for. Some of you this morning don't know you're looking for a Savior. Some of you think you're good, think you're fine. You like the message, you like the whole Christmas story. Oh, yeah, the angels, they're cool. It's not for me. I'm good. I've, I've got it. I, you know, I'm, my good's here. My bad's here. I'm probably going to make it if I, can keep, if I can keep that balance between now and, and, and dead. Well, the problem is you don't know when, when dead is, and you don't know what your balance looks like. Uh, I think most of us know now uh, Miss Nell Morgan passed away Friday night. I saw her Wednesday after her surgery. No pain, great, successful open-heart surgery. She was in good spirits, looking forward to going home on Friday. Everything was perfect. Friday night, she was gone. She had a, a, a blood clot, and it, it just, just, just took her. Nobody expected that. But she was ready. She knew her Savior. She had heard the announcement many, many years ago. She had heard the message of the angels. She knew who her Savior was. She knew where to place her faith. She knew her trust was not in anything but that baby who grew up to be a man who died on the cross for her sins. She knew the Savior that she had been looking for. This morning, I'm asking you, will you trust that Savior? Will you accept that Savior? Again, this is the Savior you are looking for. It's good news. The gospel, the angels announced it. Good news, people. Good news, shepherds. Here's the good news. 
God is holy and just. God is perfect. God will judge sin. That's who God is. He cannot be anyone else because that's who he is. I, you, are willfully sinful and fallen. You see the problem? There's a distance. There's a divide. There's a barrier. And because I am willfully sinful and fallen, I am destined for everlasting torment and judgment apart from God in a Christless hell. That is my destiny. That is where I am guaranteed to spend my eternity except for today in the city of David uh, today 2,000 years ago a savior was born for me who was my Messiah Yahweh see Jesus the perfect son of God the one we celebrate the one who was born grew up took my place, our place, your place, and our sin on the cross. That was my death, but he didn't just take my death. He took my sin as well on that cross. He died for everyone, and three days later, he rose from the grave. In case you doubt who he was, he showed up three days later and said, Boom, by the way, death defeated too. I took your, I took your punishment, I took your sin, and I took death. It's what you got to worry about. Nothing if we trust him. If we, and here's our part, if we repent of our sin and place our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation by believing in him, then we live for him. We turn from what we are. We turn, oh, I know you're a pretty good person, but you're a sinner, so you're going to hell without Jesus. Pretty good people go to hell all the time. Great people go to hell all the time because they die apart from Christ. So, therefore, repent of your sin, place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation by believing in him, then live for him. Make him your Messiah, Lord. Make him your Savior. Heed the announcement of the angels. How did Jesus fulfill this? Well, how was this a promise kept? Well, that's... Today was kind of the introduction to next week's message from Matthew, the angel's announcement to Joseph in his dream. That's our final uh, sermon in this series, and we'll finish what we started today. But don't, don't wait for that Sunday to respond to the gospel. Respond today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending the Messiah, Lord. Thank you for sending our Savior. Thank you for giving us so much more than a political Savior, so much more than we think we need, surely more than we think we want. But God, the, 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 the Savior that is everything that everyone needs, thank you for sending him. Lord, may we respond today in faith. May we rejoice if we've already believed in the promise kept that that Savior, that Messiah, he grew up to be that, to, to, to prove his Saviorship, his Messiahship. And God, thank you that, that you drew my heart and saved me and so many others here. But Lord, 
We ask that you would draw hearts who are hearing this today, maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time, but they've not responded before in faith. They would do that today in this time. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's your decision? What's your response to the good news? It's for all people. It's for you. Will you trust Christ this morning? Maybe you have believed in Christ, trusted him as your Savior, but you've not been baptized. You've not followed in that first obedience. Well, you can do that. You can say, you come forward and say, I want to, I want to do that. I want, I want to make public my profession of faith. I want to do that, make public in the, in the waters of the baptistry, and that'll be great. We'll do that. Maybe, maybe you have some other issues you need to care, uh, take care of this morning. Prayer rails are open. I'll be up here to pray with you. Over here on the left, Jordan will be over here on well, my right. You're figured out. Um, now's your opportunity. Now's your chance. Let's stand and let's do business with God this morning.